Welcome to the Podman Rush, the official podcast of the Dallas Stars. Here's your host, Daryl Razor Ray. Hear me out. Nature is the basis for everything that is. And everything that is, is intimately connected with everything that ever was. Deep, I know. That is the philosophical clarity that comes with contracting, coexisting, and then ultimately conquering COVID-19. Hello again, everyone. Razor the Revenant, if you will, this week with you, along with Mr. Glass Half Full Mike Heike of DallasStars.com, and special to the Podman Rush this week from Dallas Stars broadcasts on Bally Sports Southwest in the ticket, Josh Bogorad. Josh, it's been hours since I saw you and spoke to you. <laughs> Thanks for popping on this. And Mike, nice article in the aftermath of the stunning loss to the Habs last night. Good to see you both here uh, in, the, in the pod world. And uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, yeah. long time uh, long time listener, first time caller. It's, it's, it's good to be here with you boys. Yeah, how exciting <laughs> for you, Josh. Yeah, I know. I, I have been counting down the minutes since yeah. we were last together. Yeah. Um, well, look, we, we, we're not, we went through, we've gone through a lot of people on the podcast. We don't want you to feel like you were in any way shape or form being slighted. It's just that you and I work together for three hours every game and that. So it was like, well, we'll, we'll just work some, some newbies in and and then we'll get to the, the real gravity of this thing with you. And of course, uh, the great Mike Heike. So I kind of went through the, uh, the different phases of, of, I don't know if you want to call it grief, if you will. I was were figuring you maybe you were you were saving the best for last, but this isn't the last, so maybe no, the best it's for not. the middle somewhere. Um, and then I just pretty much chalked it up to the fact that you and I spend an awful lot of time <laughs> together, and, uh, and and it was it was quite all right to hear some other voices. Wow, we wanted a meaty time of the season too to be yeah. able to really get into this. Look, before we move on from my COVID spell, I do want to share a couple of things with you boys. As I'm leaving on my 10-hour trek from St. Louis to Dallas, I'm maybe 30 minutes in, outside the Gateway City, and I notice a massive billboard on the side of the road, and this is gospel truth. Get this. The sign states, Uranus Fudge Factory. I'm not lying. That's the name of this side of the road tourist trap Uranus, U-R-A-N-U-S, Uranus Fudge Factory. That that stayed with me for a while, you guys. I, I can only imagine how 10-year-old Daryl would have felt. Well, I felt like a 10-year-old probably <laughs> concocted the thing. Well, I'm wondering how disappointed you were that you had COVID and couldn't stop I couldn't to stop explore it. a little further. <laughs> just kind of check this just, thing out a little bit more. Yeah, just out of curiosity, what is Uranus Fudge Factory <laughs> all about here? I only made one stop because of that, Josh. I, I had to get gas in Tulsa. I almost peed my dress pants twice. Uh, fully saturated with COVID-19, I fought through, got home, and... Look, you guys know when I commit to something, I commit 100%. If I'm going to get COVID, I'm going to get 100% COVID and then overcome. And that's what I did. So with that, Josh, 
my situation put you in a, a bit of a pickle in St. Louis for a one o'clock start, forced you to work alone. Questions I have. W- yeah. Was it was it difficult or was it a dream scenario? Because I've never <laughs> met a play-by-play guy that doesn't absolutely love the sound of his own voice. So well, what was that day like? I kind of, I, I swear, we spend enough time together as documented uh, earlier. I heard you saying that to me over and over and over <laughs> again. Like I pictured you driving all the way home wondering how I spiked your test of, of some sort. Um, yeah, look, it wasn't a dream scenario at all. It, it, I, especially on a game like that, for all the highs and then all the lows, I missed... Um, the banter that we could have had and your take on a lot of it. I think it's kind of like everything else. Um, About two years ago, you stopped forecasting anything normal and what things were going to be like. And we've seen situations where teams have had to go on without their coach. Teams have had to go on without their their like line mates and guys are getting pulled off mid game. So when it started to present itself that morning, like it was a possibility, you just sort of prepare to do things differently and make sure we were on the same page. But no, it definitely wasn't a dream scenario. <laughs> it, it, it also, it wasn't, it wasn't a nightmare because earlier in my career through the minors, I had done a lot of games by myself. So right. I kind of figured I could lean on that and, uh, and then just let the game tell the story. And it did. And, Man, what a great story it was for about 59 minutes. Yeah. Kind of kind of crummy ending there at the end. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, I got a uh, two-parter for you. Do, do you have a, a style you've worked to hone as a play-by-play guy? And and who were your models or your inspiration or, or heroes when you were getting into the business? Yeah, I don't have a style, and I've I've been asked that a lot throughout my career. If um, if I ever tried to just gravitate and lean in towards one specific way of doing it, I think uh, without having a style, I I've been a huge sports fan my entire life, and I don't want to call the game the same way a fan would call the game, but I I do try to bring that same type of energy or passion or care uh, to the broadcast. So if I don't know that you can really cram that into a title of a style, but I always wanted to convey to the audience what the feeling was like in the arena or or on the ice and just do my best to mirror that and kind of match the moment. Um, try not to oversell it and definitely try not to undersell it. And as far as, as idols, you know, in the broadcasting world growing up, I grew up in Los Angeles. And so listening to Bob Miller do Kings games, and listening to Vin Scully do Dodgers games and Chick Hearn do Lakers games, it's a pretty impressive trio to just never watch heard of them. And, but I'm yeah, sure they, I know. I'm sure they were good in their respective <laughs> sports. But if if you Google, there's got to be a rare article somewhere on one of the three. Okay, um, yeah, good. But, yeah. Something to look, look to. Yeah, exactly. You got to go do a deep dive down an <laughs> internet rabbit hole. Uh, but the the way each one of them brought something different to to games, and each one extremely special and just outstanding at what they do. So to grow up and know that this is what I wanted to do and have those voices kind of on in the background, um, I think was something pretty, pretty cool to be a part of and get swept up in that wave. Man, when you look back at, at that trifecta of excellence in the broadcast, it, it's stunning that they were all working in one market at the same time. I agree. It's I, I don't know that, that you'll ever find anything like it. Each one 
could widely be considered um, among the conversation of the best for their sport. Right. And to, to have them all be there. And, you know, the teams were pretty good, too. Uh, the Lakers had Showtime and, and all those championships and Magic and Kareem and and the Dodgers. That was the Kirk Gibson home run era. And they had won World Series a couple times in the 80s. And then um, and then the Kings, while they didn't necessarily have the success, it was when Gretzky first came. And so the entire region was kind of learning about hockey. And Bob Miller was that voice that taught it to an entire part of the country that probably didn't know too much about it. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree completely to have those three guys in those three sports with that type of profile and that type of market. I mean, it's that's an incredible time in broadcasting. Mike, you've been excellent so far. If you'd like to jump in at, <laughs> at any time, or I can go with another one. I, I do no, have another no, question. Well, what's interesting to me is this whole experience with you reminds us just how hard I think all three of us had to work to get here. And so the fact that Josh did do minors by himself and was prepared for this, I think it's kind of cool. And it, and I do think it reminds us how lucky we are to have the jobs we do. Oh, you that's went, true. You went through the same thing, Daryl. When you were first trying to broadcast, you were in some very small places, I think. And you really had to put your nose to the grindstone and, and work to get to where you are today. Yeah. Was it Day was it Dayton Razor that was the first stop when you did that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would say that was my first professional gig <laughs> that I had going on. But uh yeah, it was uh yeah, I mean that's a good point, Mike, that I, I think everyone has a similar situation. Can you guys hear that? A little yeah. bit. Tingle bingle? <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. It's good. I thought I thought you were just setting the mood. Yeah, it was like a little interlude there um, <laughs> to answer Mike's question. I, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about, because uh, I know how it is from my side. Mike, you can appreciate how it is from your job in the world that we're in right now and have been in for a few years, forced to do our jobs remotely, as many people have, have been forced to do. But it's a little different in the broadcast world where uh, we're – covering a team and calling a game and analyzing a game basically off a television screen and have been for a while. And how difficult has and challenging has that been for you, Josh, to, to call plays the way that we've been forced and will here again, uh, call, call games off of monitors. It's definitely diff difficult, different and, and challenging. Um, I was just asked about it earlier this week, and I don't know what the number is. You might have it, but you think about how many of these we've done now. Going back to the bubble, it was such a foreign concept that I had never done one of these ever. And all the things I had done, all the crazy things in the minors um, and throughout my career, I'd never done a remote game off a screen. And then March of 2020 comes, we have the pause. You do the entire bubble run. You and I are in that that closet in Las Colinas, basically <laughs> calling some of the, the biggest moments in franchise history. And then I just turn and I kind of see your back facing one way on facing the other way. And it's the most bizarre situation in the world. And then we go through every road game last year in the shortened schedule. And now we've done probably about a third of this season. So all of a sudden it feels probably less strange than I ever imagined it would. But the best way I can describe it to people is it doesn't matter how many games anyone's called prior to doing them on screen you're in control of your eyes 
you're in control of where you choose to look. And when you're doing it off a monitor, that's not the case. If the cameraman loses sight of the puck, you lose sight of the puck. And if they don't, then your your scope is only as wide as the lens. So I think about that shorthanded rush that Montreal had in the in the first period, their their first sadly of many yeah, you, shorthanded rushes. You have to jog my memory. There were <laughs> yeah. so many. <laughs> yeah, but the first one where Savard comes in and he's the trailer yeah, and right. he takes the drop pass. If that's playing out on the screen, there's a good chance that you have no idea that he's there and he's joining the play. Um, and then if he is there, you don't know if there's someone right next to him with the stars to kind of take him and eliminate him as an option. So everything is just focused in. And look, it's it's like we said earlier, we're all making do with what we have. We're all very lucky to be in the positions that we're in. But it's really different because you don't get to decide what you see. And when your job is to instantaneously describe what you're seeing to the audience and you don't get to choose where you're looking, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a curveball. I, I've had the belief since we started this that, uh, and it's easier on my side because most of the time I'm dealing with replays. Now, I don't know what replays are coming sometimes, uh, but at, at the same time, basically what I believe is that you probably should be telling the viewing audience uh, something about what they are able to see. You know what I mean? Whereas I, I think some guys go down uh, a bit of a departure where they want to tell the viewing public how smart they are or some stuff that, that they saw, but there's no way that, that you can show it or it can be seen. And that doesn't seem overly fair, you know, and, and our game doesn't stop all that much like other other sports do. So it's I think it's a little more difficult to get a lot of things in, but it, it has created uh, an environment. And Mike, you're probably in the same boat where you find yourself having to be maybe a little bit more creative with how you're doing things than you were before, just because of what Josh just said. You don't always get all the information coming into your your optics, so you better be able to kind of I don't want to say invent things, but but you you've got to fluff things a little bit more than you did when you were there live. Well, and the problem in my part is a lot of the fluff that you would have you don't get. So when you're watching Joe Pavelski in person, you see all these little intricacies in his game, you know, or, or Jason Robertson or Rope. Uh, you just see so many little fun things that you can store in your memory or ask him about, you know. And again, I keep going back to it was so much fun to just sit down on a bench next to him at a morning skate or whenever. And, and we'll and get into asked, that in a little bit here. I've yeah. got some questions for you in that regard. Yeah. And, and so to be able to to not have that information, it hurts. Uh, and I, you know, I feel bad that I don't think I have been as creative as I could be, uh, because you, you need that information. You need that background to, you know, to fill your own brain and to start your own brain starting to think of creative ideas. And it makes you a little bit delayed. It, right, Josh? Like you just, there's just a, there's a half a beat where, because you, you don't want to be wrong. Right. And, yeah. you know, at the same time, unfortunately, and fortunately, in some ways, we simulcast. So long spells of dead air are fine if everyone, everyone uh, listening 
to your are watching your broadcast can see what's going on. But those that are listening, you got to fill some you got to fill some spaces there for them on the radio side. Right. And I, I would think that would be a major, major challenge for a play by play man uh, dealing with, uh, you know, whatever's coming in on the on the monitors. And that's that's your game. Now, our yeah, guys have our guys have done an incredible job technically. Oh, yeah. To set us up with with different looks. Uh, I mean, I've done backbench games back in the day where you <laughs> basically had what you had a television monitor and go at it. <laughs> yeah, I've had it, man. And, and, and we had to do a few of those, especially the radio only games that we've had to do when national takes over and it's it's one monitor. Um, but you're right. I mean, the crew. The crew at Bally's and and then our specific crew and the guys that do everything they can to feed us as much information and as many different looks. Um, but when we first started doing this, something as basic as the screen goes to break and they're going to show a Joe Pavelski image and just a bunch of graphics of him as we go to break and the score bug disappears <laughs> and all of a sudden we're going to break and I, I there's no scoreboard for you to actually look up to and you're thinking wait how much time is left in the first period <laughs> what I is honestly, the score yeah I no, i'm like i think i remember the score i should get that one right but um it's been a while since i've i've recorded to memory exactly how much is left because it's been rushes yeah. back and forth like things like that you just take for granted i could always look up at the scoreboard and and then uh, maybe people would be surprised that even with the incredible technology that we have these days we don't always get the most crisp feeds from these arenas that we're in so uh, it could be it's not it's not this super high def where you know when the puck gets hit a hundred miles per hour from the point, it turns into a trail and and then it goes into a sea of bodies and you're trying to spot <laughs> it and you're trying to figure out exactly where it is. And then it's off a monitor that has a little bit of grain in it. And look, I mean, again, it's, I think we've made it work. I think the broadcasts, it's taught us all how to, to lean into whatever we can lean into. And to your earlier point about not wanting to divert too much from what the audience sees, I think you make an outstanding point because you don't want to go sideways and start telling a story that has nothing to do with what everybody else is taking in. But I also, at the same time, believe there are instances where you have to because it is part of the story, even though they can't see it. For instance, if there's a delayed penalty behind the play or if it's late in the game and there's two and a half minutes left and a team's carrying the puck up ice, is the goalie going to the bench for an extra attacker or are they not? And there have literally been times where I've had to to talk to our producer in the truck and say, give me a heads up if you know they're pulling their goalie because I can't look to my right and see it. And little things like that that maybe don't get caught in in the screen, but still very much are applicable parts of the story that, you know, you're doing your job well if you're able to convey that to an audience. But we're all we're all tap dancing as we go and making it work. Yeah, with experience, you get you get a better sense of how to talk your way around those situations a little bit, you know, <laughs> which Absolutely. which is understandable. But uh, I, I wouldn't want to try to do what we're doing right now with the original 21 on on uh, standard definition television. That would that would be a chore. Isn't Mike, that the truth? Mike, you got to remember, man, go back to it, baby. I like the old days. Yeah. You know, know. what? Uh, we always talk about prospects here. I think this whole experience has taught us what a talent Brent Severin is and how lucky we are to have him in the organization. Oh, you're sucking up to Sevy. No, I'm just trying to stick a needle in you. 
For what? Because <laughs> this guy came in and may take your job. That that happens in life, Mike. I know. Wally pip you. Whatever. <laughs> I just try to do what I do. I mean, it's a it's a business where you just try to do what you do, man. True. People you don't want to be here if they you. don't want you. No, you move on. <laughs> Down the road. I get in I'll get into writing. And clobber you, Heike. You've, Write you've something done. that people actually want, find interesting. Interesting. You've done that before. All right. Uh, next, the the latest upcoming critical road trip with these Dallas Stars. Uh, schedule suggests this is the one the Stars get back to winning ways away from home. Right. What say you? Me or or him? Well, Mike, you're full of uh, <laughs> all kinds of. Uh, a, giddiness a, today and finally an opinion machine. go ahead have at it i'm gonna jump uh, in ahead online in the queue um i'm really disappointed to tell you the truth uh, i know it's one game at a time and they can pick up points here but it would have been really nice to like so i'm dancing in my head that they need eight points out of these five games and they're already down too so that means they got to win the next four um all I can tell you is I keep looking up at the standings and the teams ahead are getting further ahead and uh, they need to start catching up. Uh, I just, I, I would be really disappointed if they missed the playoffs and right now they're in position to miss the playoffs. So it's, it's very scary. And then I keep going back to, I've asked them a lot about poise. And so that's just the ability to handle all this pressure and, and still play good hockey. And, and this is their opportunity to show that. Josh, I, I think I think Mike is right. You looked at this segment the, that started with the game at home against Montreal, and it was a five game segment that you felt you don't want to get hyper hyperbolic and say it it is season defining because it's only a five game segment, but it sure felt like an important one. And now you're one game into it and it still does. And I think that has to be the mindset going on the road is you can't allow a hangover to come from a loss to the Canadians, uh, it, you just can't, you can't afford it. Because if this, if the rest of this five game segment goes further south, then the hurdle grows. And so I think right now, if you're the stars, this was already a really urgent four games. Your entire road schedule up to this point has made it urgent. <laughs> um, and now the result at home against Montreal just dials it up even further. And look, if they go and they do win all four, then you come back here and you can kind of shrug off that Montreal loss and, and call it a little bit of a one-off. If you win three or or you get, I, I don't know, five of the eight possible points, you still probably set yourself up where at least it's not a total disaster. But you would have felt a lot better getting on that plane with two more points at the expense of the Habs. Now you don't have that luxury and now you really don't have much of a choice. You just you have to go get the job done on, on these four games. Yeah, at times I think you can look at a game like like yesterday, and it look it sucks. It's terrible. There's a there's a real uh, you know kind of a backwash to it. It feels like, but if you go out somewhere along the trail and you win a game you had no right in in winning, then it should make that a moot point, right? There's a game you should have won. Here's a game you probably shouldn't have won, and you did. And there you go. Wash your hands and, and move along. But I, I have a, a theory born out of Viking lore 
about the stars and, and the road. To win and win consistently on the road, you need you need deep mental toughness, some sort of screw you swagger, which obviously Hike is just chock full of, and the ability to eliminate things that get you beat. And there, there are things that just flat out get you beat. And it, the more that you can subtract those from the equation, especially on the road, the better chance you have of winning. And Vikings, of course, burn their boats when they reach shores of unconquered land, uh, leaving them what, Mike? Two options, right? Win uh, or perish. Correct. Win or perish. And that mentality seems to be a, a pretty good one. Now, we don't go in wooden boats to uh, Buffalo and Philadelphia and what have you. I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically, just to be clear. But could they use more of that mentality or, or maybe even a Viking or two? My biggest problem with all of this is yesterday, I thought they had the right attitude. They came out hungry. They came out hard. They created scoring chances. And then... And Rick disagreed with me on this. I thought they just lost their way. They lost, I called it structure. He said it was just mistakes at the blue line, that the structure was still there. And that's what created the 50 shots on goal, mm -hmm. the 111, you know, uh, shot attempts that he felt they were still there. But I keep going back to poise. I mean, yes, you need that energy. Yes, you need that, you know, that attitude of, hey, we're better than you and we're going to beat you, which I thought they had for large parts of that game. But then when it didn't go their way, they kind of just, I don't know, they went chaotic. And we've seen it so many times this year where they're just so inconsistent. I would just like them. And we keep going back to, hey, back in the day they did this and they did that. And they knew they were good, but they also knew how to stick to the game plan and to repeat it game after game after game. And this team just seems like it's all over the map. You, you kind of don't know what's going to show up from game to game, from period mm -hmm. to period. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that that's, that's probably a good thing when things are going bad and, and maybe not such a good thing when they're going well because this team has shown the ability to get caught in a wave. And whether that's a positive wave or a negative one, um, they can get caught in it, but then it can also change on a dime. I mean, the, the number of highs and lows and the swings that they've had, I think that they've shown that swagger at times. And whether it was the the home record um, and, and what they've done to opponents pretty much for the last two months here in Dallas or when they were on that seven game winning streak, they, they do have that swagger in them, but they also have the ability to, to lose it quickly, to follow up the seven game winning streak. Uh, it, people, it, so much has happened since then, so they're not really talking about it anymore. They were 10 minutes away from setting a franchise record. Um of winning streaks when they had that two goal lead midway through the third period in Vegas. And since then they can't score on the road. I, they, they had four against a really good Vegas team in that building and Holpe was playing out of his mind and they were probably about to steal a game that, that they weren't supposed to get. And then the bottom fell out and it hasn't been rebuilt on the road yet. And that's what they have to do here. I, I just think that for whatever reason, there has to be that spark and then that wave behind it because they have shown the swagger that I agree with you, Razor, they need to have, but then it'll disappear for stretches. 
And then you just hope it comes back where there's still enough runway left where you can build it into something that, that crosses the finish line of the season. Uh, looking around the league in that, the, the, there's a lot of, of wild swings in, yeah. in this and, and reasons for it, right? I mean, the COVID situation and, uh, you know, having to utilize more players and players that you didn't think were ever going to suit up for you this season and the way the schedule has unfolded. I guess we're, we're going to get the new schedule here maybe today or tomorrow, or did it come out already? today as to has, how they're going to catch up in, in February. But, uh, you know, I, I, there haven't been very many just full on juggernaut teams. Look at, look at Edmonton. I mean, what did they win? They went 14 and two or something like that. At one point, the first 16 games, I mean, they were, they were almost unbeatable and now they can't win a game and they have the two best players in the league. And you had Calgary that was rocking along, and then all of a sudden they can't find their way. It, it seems to be almost a, a league-wide affliction, and maybe it's like every other year. The longer that you can stay with your with your peaks and you can limit the length of your valleys, ultimately you're going to fin- finish the season in the top eight, and you're going to be a playoff team, and then it's a, a brand-new world when they hit that, but – at some point, you got to win more than than four road games, or yeah. it doesn't matter what you're going to do at home, because uh, it's been proven here in the first half of the season, you, you can be world beaters at home. If you can't win, at, at least encroach upon 500 on the road, it's going to be difficult to to finish in a playoff spot this season. Yeah, it's funny uh, they were talking Calgary Flames on NHL radio yesterday and it just sounded like the Dallas Stars like they're like well Goodrow can be a, a unrestricted free agent this summer well shouldn't you trade him he goes well no we could make the playoffs <laughs> yeah, we, might, just we like, might win it all <laughs> we might win it all because yeah. look Daryl's done this before he's taken an eighth place team and won it all in LA yeah. or he's taken us to the and so it's the same I mean it's got to be hard for the fans because you sit there and look and there's I don't know seven teams fighting for two or three spots and that means that you know four or five of those teams are going to miss the playoffs but, and but honestly that's that's part of fandom too though that's, that's yeah. one one of the great things about parody and and whatever we're going through here right now is that you don't have humdrum yeah they won again tonight games like that game even last night uh, we're spending probably too much time on the game against Montreal but i mean the, the fans were were upset at their own team, upset at the refs, encouraged by their team, like all these wild uh, swings of emotions within just within that game yeah. on home ice. And, and it's I think every fan base is kind of going through this with their teams. They get on a run. That, that's just part of the journey. That's what makes sports, I think, really intriguing, I think. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. You're the you're the one of us here on this podcast that's that's experienced it on the other end and you've been in the room and in as a player. And I think that maybe of all the things that I find so impressive about athletes and how you go through a season is the ability to compartmentalize. And you hear it all the time. It's turned into this cliche where you don't get too high and you don't get too low. But while fans are riding these waves and losing their minds and look, it's entertainment. Like you said, they're supposed to, that's part of the fun of following a team Players are doing their best to just stay even keel through an 82-game schedule that's going to throw you some pretty wild curveballs. And, and 
you just have to plow through it. And there's another game one or two days behind when, when you are inside the room and going through a season that's had the type of swings that we're talking about, does it get harder to, to stay even keel or that's just how they're wired and it's, it's turn the page and on to yeah, the next one. Yeah, their athletic amnesia is one of the greatest attributes, especially of pros. You know, yeah, it's you, amazing. You, whether it's individually or, or your group, you, you need to move on because the games just keep coming. There's, there's right. no, you can't do anything about what just happened. You can learn from it a little bit, but you can't do anything about it. So you just move on. Everybody starts from zero, zero. And look, again, Montreal was a great case of that yesterday. They put two guys in the lineup. They both score. They got dummied the day before in the toilet bowl in, in Arizona. And, and then they come out and, and they rode a, a sensational game from their goaltender, but they played hard and they played kind of a winning road game in, in Dallas that came out of nowhere. So it's it's proof that whatever happened yesterday isn't always going to happen tomorrow, and uh, and the things that we think are just crippling a team, the the edge of that is not as sharp within the room and yep. belief. It's it's part of why what makes them the athletes that they are. There there's such belief in themselves individually and and collectively. That they they they're like no I'm I'm pretty good and we're really good and we'll turn this thing around they, they always believe that which anyway, is why yeah. that's why you think you can go hop on a plane go four and zero come back and oh, it's a much different conversation yeah. next week yeah the, yeah the 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 challenge always is to not get too far ahead of yourself because uh, that can get you in in trouble whether it's with success or or with failure. And the more that that a team and, and an athlete can stay in the moment and in the now, the the better off they always are. And it's just a series of of one offs, if if you will. And man, you can just load up the cliche truck and dump it on this thing if you want. Hey, uh, Mike, uh, you especially on this one. The big viral hockey world story yesterday was the Matheson Drysital Tete Tete in Edmonton, media availability between Hall of Fame writer Jim Matheson and Oilers superstar uh, Leon Dreisaitl. Man, did your brethren ever, uh, you know, the P, what is it, the PHWA? Something like that. that. I'm not not a member. They booted me out, but yes. Oh, yeah, really? (laughs) No, professional (laughs) hockey writers. They're smarter than I thought. (laughs) You can't work for for a team and be an an independent uh, observer of the uh, National Hockey League. But yes, they really came to Maddie's defense yesterday. They came to his defense. It got testy. The Oilers are in a death spiral up there. And Matheson's been around for decades and decades and decades. What was your take on the whole thing? It, it is interesting. Just, you know, we talk about the athletes don't care or they don't read or they don't, they care, especially up there. And, and I do think there is a bunker mentality. Uh, I think you see it with the Cowboys right now where, you know, Hey, we're really trying, we're working hard. And then the media, like I always say, I'm connected to the fans and they're like, yeah, well, what have you done for me lately? You know, thanks for that, you know, 12 and one to start or whatever. But now you're falling apart and we want to know why we want answers. We demand answers. And up there, I mean, you've been up. We've been up there for what? Six playoff series. Mm. And the media is a very 
challenging part of the organization. And, and I believe it's a very good thing for an organization to have a strong media on the outside to raise the bar and say, this isn't good enough. It's becoming and so, rarer and rarer, right? It is becoming rarer and rarer. And, and again, you like Canada see, always seems to me like it's 10, 15 years behind. And this is you know, something you might have seen in the U.S. with baseball 10 writers. 10 to 15 years behind? Just on <laughs> cultural things like this. Is that this making you some <laughs> kind of a xenophobe or something? No, this is a good thing. Oh, okay. I, I Continue, Mike. I'm I think sorry. as we're going forward, we're doing bad things with technology and, and how players and athletes relate to the media and the fans and, and just in general. I, I don't know. I, I like what they do in Canada. And I, I love what they do in Western Canada and, and how the media re relates to the players. And um, it's changing. Uh, but I mean, even back in the day, uh, I think you and, and I and Tim Collish always said, if you write something bad, you show up the next day and you have that but you argument. Can't, but you can't do that. That was the big thing right. uh, surrounding that situation where you guys have to deal with Zoom questions. Uh, and there there's not the ability because of the pandemic uh, to take a player aside and have a one-on-one -on -one and right. have it out. Right. Uh, and you're right. Like back in the day, you wrote a nasty article about an individual, you know, or a critical one show up the next day. If they got an issue with it, talk about it, get their side, you know, and you there's an understanding on both sides. It's, I think it's really hard to do that now. Is it not? Yes, it would be. Yeah. You don't, you'd have to have cell phone numbers and, and, you know, almost sometimes I think they would have to initiate, the player would have to initiate saying, I want to talk to this guy and go through PR. But yeah, it's a lot harder than it used to be. Do you think there's an appetite to even do that anymore? Um, it's an interesting question. Uh, I personally believe the relationship between either you or the media or the writer and the athlete is, is really important. And again, it used to be back in the day that, one of the ways you were good at your job is that you had great relationships. And I do think that's gone out the window, whether that's with the coach, whether it's the GM, whether it's the players. Do you, you feel, and Josh, jump in, like with how quick the news cycle is now in this world, like if that happened in what, 1998, let's say, what went on yesterday, that would live for a week right? Like there, there would be, it would still be part of everything there for a while. Yeah. And it feels like now, well, it was a big deal yesterday and it just explodes because everyone wants to weigh in on it. And the video was there and it's on every social platform and every, you know, talk debate show wants to talk about it. But then today there's a million other things to, to be distracted by and move on to. And that, that's why I, I wonder whether there's that appetite to get the player and the, the scribe together to kind of hash it out. They both kind of go, well, that happened and we'll move on. I'd, I'd probably venture to guess it depends on the player and, and the writer and what their relationship was leading up to this. Because everybody gets to be parachuted into this moment with Matheson and, and Dreisaitl. But there's a lot more behind there. That This didn't just happen yesterday. This was yeah. a series. Like, so that's... That's probably the most interesting thing is nobody, and understandably so, but nobody is, is 
caring about the backstory, and that will probably lead to the conclusion. But you brought up the point earlier that that I have seen writer after writer after writer bring up. And for two years, I've watched from a distance all these all these writers, and you and I do the same thing. Your job changes when you don't go into the room and you can't talk to these guys, and you certainly can't talk to them with the frequency that we did. But this highlighted kind of a different element to it, and that is that now every single conversation is aired out in public forums where everybody gets to watch it, not just the people in that city. Like everybody, because it's all posted online and the internet lives forever, so you can never ask a question that the world isn't the audience for. You can never give an answer that the world isn't the audience right. for. Right, it's, it's a good it's point. Really in, it's so interesting. To I me think it I changes. Never of it that way, it changes the 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 questioning. Yeah, the, the type of question you're going to ask because of that. Good point. Yeah, yeah it's that's that's the biggest revelation for me because I've always taught, I've always heard everybody and 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 felt this way. Well, we can't tell the same stories and we can't get the same access and we can't stumble onto the same nuggets and all of that is true and valid. But this is different because it just shows that everything is now on a stage, literally. Everything is just put up on a stage where these guys are answering questions and you can never have just the the interpersonal communication that comes from a conversation that just involves these people. Did you catch the Rush reference there, Mike? All the world's <laughs> a stage. We are merely players. I'm trying to fit as many as I can. Performers and portrayers. Performers and portrayers. It's exactly what um, we are. Yeah. You know, the other interesting thing is is the best thing that has happened during mm-hmm. this time is... Daryl Ray has coached me on how to ask questions and I've lost my conversation. You're the most improved. I am. But back in the day, I used to annoy the TV and radio people because I just sit there and go, hey, so what's going on? And and I thought that was the best way to get quotes for the newspaper story because, you know, you'd meander a little bit here and there. Right. you know, sometimes you, you were like a stu- parasite is what you're saying. Is a that- little bit. Yeah. yeah. But I'd stumble onto things and then I could gnaw away at the little uh, ticks and uh, maggots in the in the wood. <laughs> you really paint a picture, Mike. The, uh, the 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 thing that is missing from all of this is that because of time constraints and that there, there's really no there's no conversation. It's just a question and it's a Q and A all the time yeah. between the media and the player. And with the ability on social media to put out their own stuff and for teams to put out their own stuff. It's just a massively different world. Now I'll say this, there, there are some old curmudgeon scribes and writers that I've, I just unfollowed on, on Twitter because they, they would just fight with people all the time on there. And it's, it's like, why it was, it was a nauseating. I, I'm not there for that. I'm there for information, a little bit of entertainment. That's all I, I want it for. And, and a lot of these guys got, they, they got nasty. They, they sounded old and out of touch and just yeah. wanted to pick a fight all the time. And there was, there was a little bit of that from Manny. I love Maddie. I, I was, there with the Oilers back in the day and tremendous, tremendous writer and reporter. But, uh, you know, there, there's some of that antagonistic aspect to it. And look, it's been nothing but negative questions there for yeah. over a month. That's hard for an athlete. 
just constantly day in and day out the same questions over and over and over and it sounded like he he'd had enough and uh and then it blew up the way it did I now think Heike, though, I think Heike is, is now on the clock and the challenge is to fit the word pissy into a question for yeah. the rest of this year, Mike. <laughs> you need to elevate your game a bit. Yeah. So How have you really challenge. gotten into it with in, in your tenure? You know what's funny is one of the things I really pride myself on is having good relationships. And so I would go back and like me and Richard Mapichuk would argue about something that was written in a story. They actually read the stories back then. And, uh, and he would go, you said, I know he goes, you said this and you said that. And I said, well, here's what I was trying to, and we would, we would, I don't think we would yell, but he would be mad at me about how I phrase something about his play and I would talk it out. And so I really don't know that I've upset that many, you know, athletes. No, you're, Um, you're a warm heart. I think some of the uh, GMs, uh, they, they weren't always happy with how things were phrased back in the day when I didn't work for the company. Right. Um, so, right. and you know, but that's, you know, it's Jim lights to me for all his faults. I love the fact that he said, you have to be here. And he, I think even Mark Cuban said back in the day that he wanted an outside media source because it's a good thing for the organization to have that because mm-hmm. they're not going to always ask themselves the tough questions. So to have somebody ask the tough questions, heck, even the, the horses thing was about, we weren't, we weren't getting uh, hard enough on, <laughs> on Tyler and Jamie that yeah. the organization wanted us to be tougher. So there is a, 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 we need to be there. And at times like this, the Edmonton Oilers need that, voice out there whether it's handled well or not they need that person saying this isn't good enough and be the conduit the tool for the fans razor that's what you got to be a tool for the fans we need you on that podium we (laughs) want me on that podium that zoom call asking the questions that demand to be asked well look we're we're seven games uh to the all-star break right they're not gonna they won't jam another game in before the all-star break all that stuff will be post all-star, I would think. I would think. Yeah. So they will have played 43 games at, at the All-Star break. Essentially mid-season, right? In the 82-game schedule. To me, the entire first three or four months of uh, this season has felt like the Stars are, are perennially or metaphorically playing down by a goal or two all the time. You know, you know what I mean with that? Mm-hmm. It, it's... It's almost like situational urgency, and Josh talked about it a little bit earlier. What what do you guys see? Do you concur with that, or do, what do you see when you look back? And who knows what's going to go on in these seven games, but when you look back at, at the first half of the season, your, your biggest uh, judgment of what's gone on is going to be what? Mine is the inconsistency. I, I understand your point, but we've also seen them – come out and play really well at home and get up two to nothing and yada, yada. But I look at the second period and think, how can you be so like this team used to be great in the second period. They would take advantage of the hardship for the other team. And now other teams are taking advantage of the hardship that the long change presents to the stars. And to me, that's now all of a sudden you're great in the first period. You're terrible in the second period. You're running from behind the third. Period. It's just something different every period. Moving every target. Game. 
Yeah. How how many? And I gotta I gotta figure this one out. How many periods have we seen twenty shots against? Because it seems like six, seven, eight. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it? Yeah. Where they're right. just sitting there in their own end. You're right. You know, firing range twenty shots against in a period. That's ridiculous. And yet they do it all the time. And then they'll turn around and they'll, you know, uh, make a great push at the end of a game or, uh, you know, they'll they'll be great at home. They'll go on the road. They'll be terrible. It's just I just wish. And this goes, I think, to your point of I just wish there was whether that's the coaches or the leadership group, somebody would grab a hold of this and say, no, no, this is what we're going to do, because I don't get the sense that they've got that attitude of. We're going to play our game and they're going to have to play our game when we put our game on the ice. Yeah. And I think, I think along those lines, you're talking about those shots against in, in various periods. I think probably the most shocking thing through almost 40 games are the number of times opponents have put up big numbers against the stars. Cause for better or worse, if you followed this team the last few years, you're not used to seeing that. It's not a team that typically gives up a lot. And there have been a lot of fours. There's been a lot of fives on the board for opponents. And then when you couple that with the lack of secondary scoring, which I know is a drum that's been beaten for a long time around here, but they've got a top line that objectively is is one of the best lines in hockey. When when those three guys are all playing and what they do together on a nightly basis, and they got to improve it on the road, obviously, but their numbers are just incredible. If you can get that second wave uptick of scoring and then you can get back to where more than three goals against is, is not the norm, but it's the exception, that's, that's going to get you there. You'll get to the playoffs. If you can't get both of those things, they won't. And if you can only get one, then it's kind of going to be that race all the way down to game 82. And I, I think that the big takeaway through all of this, you label it inconsistency or dial in on all these things, is that the stars will be in the mix halfway through. They're not going to be a team whose fortune is sealed one way or another. They're going to be in the mix. And we've seen that a lot. And now it's just going to be which one prevails. You made the comment, Razor, I think it was earlier this week. They're not going to sustain this home record and they're not going to sustain this road record. So which one is going to topple? Which one is going to prevail? And and it, it might be the difference in them getting there or not. And it kind of has to go with that increase in secondary scoring and maybe that decrease in goals against that we're just not used to seeing around here. If they get there, they'll figure it out and they're there. Yeah, I, I'd still like to believe that in the second half of the season, they'll some way, somehow find what I thought they were going to have uh, this season, which is better balance to their offensive and defensive game. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by it, the way it's gone in the, in the first half of the season in that regard. Uh, they, they still don't give up all that much. If you look at the numbers, the internal, the fancy stats, they they don't they really don't give up all that much uh, quality scoring chance. But the problem is they don't they really don't generate what other top teams generate offensively, and and certainly not consistently as we've hammered home uh, here on the the Podman Rush this week. But, but yeah, it, it, uh, the good point, Josh. I I think the potential is it remains there, and it's going to remain there for a while. That that's just the nature of of the national hockey league right now. And, and you have to focus. 
on points percentage and that should pump hope into everybody when you look at that because points percentage can change in a hurry. The The point differential between 8th and 13th doesn't look as rosy because of the games played, but uh, it, it seems very, very doable. Uh, but if it doesn't get done here in the next probably – uh, 10 to 15 games, then the hurdle is going to be really, really difficult to leap over. And then the the other element where it's not just straight race to 82 games is the decision-making factor is the deadline approaches because the information in those next 10 to 15 games will probably play a role in, in what direction the team goes. And so that's, that's always that checkpoint where you don't just get to look at it fully at 82 games because – both you and those teams you're jockeying with are going to make choices based on where you are. Yeah, I, I think it was Bob Ganey back in the day that used to uh, have a, a real belief, in, and why, why wouldn't you, that game 40 to 60 tells you what your team is, like who you are. Those, those games, those 20 games tell you exactly what your team is. And the stars are creeping up on on game 40 here, and – uh, whether the, you have the luxury of 20 games like that anymore, I, I don't know how it works in in today's world. But if you look back on most teams through the years, you look at those 20 games and you're like, yep, that's, that's who you are. And I, th- I think general managers have a tough time now in those 20 games trying to figure out, are, am I a buyer, a seller, a Stan Pat guy? What, what, what are we here? And if you get mixed messages in those 20 games, man, what a difficult chore for them to try to figure out exactly what direction to go. And uh, hopefully the Stars can just get get some serious, so I mean serious uh, talons in the ground and, and just move along and be the team that they seem to have the potential to be, no matter where they're playing. That's, right. that's the big hope. Well, and on paper, I still believe Tyler can be better, okay? So he's... Getting healthier, he's 29, he could be the guy who breaks through. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, Hockenpah has been better. I think Suter has been better. So as you get these guys who join the team, there's a real chance they could play their best hockey in the second half. But we need to see it, and like you said, in the next 10 to 15 games. And then the other thing, and I do think this is interesting because Bob and I talked about this at different times, but I do believe the mental strength of the individual and then the mental strength as a group of a whole is really tested in the, in the games 40 through 60. And so it really does show, okay, how bad do you want this? How Mm. hungry are you? Mm -hmm. And whether, you know, back in the day when they were playing really well, uh, I think the fact that they they enjoyed that. They wanted to be the best team in the league. They wanted to win the president's trophy. Well, that showed in those games where they really could have had a collapse. And now as seven teams are jockeying for two positions, it's going to show there. All right. Well, if, if they if they hit the ground running in Buffalo, let's start counting in game 37 and see how it all shakes <laughs> out. So. Well, good session, man. Mike, you, you, you used overused uh, back in the day uh, today, if I'm going to post critique this one and you're working on getting me retired apparently. And, uh, and Josh, Josh, you were phenomenal. Uh, no surprise there. Uh, terrific stuff. Strong verbal participation by both of you. I thank you, but that's it. I think that that's it. We've put an hour in here. 
Well, before we leave, I just want to put in a request that I might not be here in future weeks. I will be listening and tuning in, and I desperately want an update from you or our listeners on the status of the Uranus Fudge Factor. Yeah. So, so hopefully you can mail in. order. I'm hoping to mail order from there. I'll, I'll be tuning in, boys. Don't let me down. All right. Appreciate you all for consuming this. Back with another premium mediocre Podman Rush next week. Au revoir, mes You've been listening to the Podman Rush with Daryl Razor Ray, an official production of the Dallas Stars. To stay up to date on all things stars, visit DallasStars.com or download the official NHL app today.